On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire left. Like a path, they clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and today I'm joined with Firefighter Paul. Paul's been involved with public service for 27 years, spending 19 years as a firefighter and an EMT. He's also worked as a hazmat technician. He does all that stuff that most of us don't want to do, the decon and all those sorts of things. So, Paul, it's great to have you on the on the podcast I know the story that you're going to tell. It's an incredible story, and I can't wait to have you share it with our listeners. So I will turn the mic over to you and let you share your story from the road. Hi, thanks for having me. I joined the Lord Fighter Department in uh, 2003. Before that, I had um, passed history of being a dispatcher for a neighboring community. You know, we have a civil service test, so that's how I, I got on. Did you always want to be a firefighter? Is that something that you had always planned on doing, or how'd you get here? I think I had a, a, a strong leaning towards law enforcement for a while. I ended up taking the, uh, the civil service test for the fire test as well. A friend of mine, his father was on Boston Fire Department. And he one summer, he's like, hey, you guys want to come, you know, ride the trucks? I'm like, yeah, we never did that before. We went in and, you know, we had a prime rib dinner. We probably had a, a dozen runs. And I was like, I got to take this test. So it was, it was a good experience. So a little bit of food and rolling around on a fire truck. And that was it. You were sold. Yeah, I, I was hooked. So you, I guess you liked it because you've been doing it now for 19 years, 19 years with the same department? Yes. Great. Well, go ahead and uh, let's hear about this this just incredible story that you have to share with us. I know it was a, a rainy night, but go ahead, and, go ahead and tell the listeners all about it. So it was, uh, you know, middle of the, the pandemic, uh, June 28th of 2020. Uh, we had a, a slight rainstorm, thunderbolt 
I hit a garage. Um, we had a little, you know, fire there, put it out, went back, you know, getting our equipment back together. And then the, you know, the sky really opened up. I'm looking out the back window after getting changed and, you know, gearing up for the rest of the shift. And previously they had a flood on the same location. So in 1998, they had a flood. They lost the garage. Uh, next door was, it was a half police, half fire station. Police lost a detective uh, unit, you know, all their computers, all their evidence. Um, the guys lost personal vehicles. So long story short, they built a new uh, station on the same location. Filled it all in, made it level, no basement. They put a, a retention pond area in the back. So I'm looking out that afternoon, and I see it's full, and the water's creeping in towards the back of the I'm like, that can't be good. Shortly after that, we got an alarm for an alarm sounding. Uh, we left the building, and the, the water in the streets was was incredible. Some of the regular low-lying areas were completely submerged. We had to go around our Washington Street through uh, another neighborhood that we don't normally go through. And the water was probably two to three feet deep um, at that point. Is this an area that typically floods or was this just like that 100-year flood? Yeah, this was like a 100-year flood. What we did find out later on was this storm kind of came and it sat over our community for about an hour. We didn't know how how much or how extensive the damage was elsewhere, but we were just kind of worried about what we had. So we went a couple calls, alarms, um, a port of bill and fire, nothing panned out. And then we got a call for the uh, the hospital. Uh, I was on the ladder truck. I was working overtime. There's three of us, myself, uh, Mike, the driver, and uh, another gentleman, Paul, that was uh, I've known for quite a long time, been on the job together. We actually went to EMT school back before I got on when he first started. So we've, we've worked together for a long time. We pull up, you know, get sent to the hospital, report of a, uh, a water problem. As soon as we step out, I don't think we had two feet on the ground. They told us that they had three people trapped in the basement cafeteria. So we're the only company there. We go inside. Um, elevator was, was knocked out of commission. Obviously, we weren't going to take that. Uh, we could tell that the electricity was out in that side of the building. So we went down to the stairwell. And we get down to the stairwell to the basement, and there's already uh, waist-high deep water. Uh, the door had been broken in such a way that it was at an angle, including the casement of the door, that was, and it was blocking our entrance to get into the cafeteria. Did it break because of the water pressure on it, or was it damaged prior? Uh, it, it broke because of the water pressure. Another company rolled up on scene, engine company. I asked them for a K-12 because I figured it would be easier to cut the metal. And for anybody listening, a K-12 is uh Yeah, so it's a, a circular saw that, that'll pretty much you know go through anything. The other firefighter I was with, uh, Paul, the two of, he was able to um, knock that door in, and we were able to kind of angle it and float the door back inside so we could make some entry. You know, we made a decision we were going to go stay together and do a search, you know, for the reported three people that were that were trapped in there. We had to climb over. There's all kinds of debris. We had to climb over what I thought was a desk. And then we came across that it may have been a pallet full of um, building materials somewhere along the lines. And when a Coke machine went floating by, I knew it was kind of getting pretty serious. Yeah, that's a bad day when a Coke machine is. It's like seeing a car float by. You know it's a bad day. Yeah. So thankfully, we had been in the building um, – 
numerous times, both, you know, tours, um, you know, after calls, because this is we did our most of our uh, EMS transports, because uh, we also run ambulance service. And we just figured we'd, we'd start just doing make left-hand turns so we know, you know which way we're going in. We made our way into the cafeteria. And one of the first things I noticed was they have these high top, you know, bar style tables, you know, table, two, two chairs. And there's a bunch of them on the, the kind of the outer wall of, of the cafeteria. And the water was about half, halfway up those tables. And just to back up for a second, you said you're making a left-hand turn. So you're doing a left-handed search. And for anybody listening that doesn't understand, a left-handed search, you basically keep your hand on, on one wall, whether it's a left-hand or a right-hand search, and you follow that around the perimeter so you don't get lost, correct? Yes, yes. And like I said before, there was no electricity, not even emergency lighting that was available. So all, all we had at the time was our flashlights. So we're calling out, you know, trying to listen in between you know, saying, hey, fire department, fire department, if you're down here, you know, let us know. And we checked the area, and there was a a door at the south side of the, the building that was partially pushed open, but it was, you know, pushed outwards. And there was some debris in the way, but the water was pouring in there. And we knew it was pouring in other places as well. There was loading docks and other things in this area, and it's all below grade. You know, we, we kind of poked our heads into the, the kitchen area and then to some offices, and we didn't find anybody. And I guess my fear was finding somebody and not being able to, to free them. The water was was rising very rapidly. It's something that you're really not, you know, taught to do in the, in the fire academy. You know, you base it on fires and, you know, we do water rescue stuff. We have bodies of water, but never in the in the basement of a large building like that. And you're also doing those water rescues with specialized gear, not turnout gear and SCBAs, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So we we had been going to alarm calls, so we were all dressed in turnout gear. Uh, we had our air packs. Um, we had hand tools. We didn't find anybody in that cafeteria area, so we, we were glad about that. We kind of had a, a very brief conversation about where we're going to attack next for a search and Basically, this hospital was split up in a, a newer building that we were in and an older building. Um, and there was somewhat of a tunnel that led down to that area. So it was kind of like an in- incline going downwards. And there was a pharmacy area. And our paramedics would go to this area. So they, they're very familiar with it. So we we're going to check to see if anybody was down there. It was probably the most logical area someone would be. So we, we turn around. We get to go to that that door to go down. And I noticed that the water was covering those tables that I noticed when I first went in there. I don't think we were in, in that, that cafeteria more than five minutes. So that, that water was really rising pretty quick. So this uh, tunnel area, there's a set of doors at the top and there's a set of doors at the bottom. And the doors at the top are holding back a lot of water from going down. You know, So we're like, well, we had to make a decision. We're going to breach this door, whether we just open it or we had to knock it down, that water is coming with us. My fear was we get down the bottom and we're not able to open those bottom doors due to water pressure or whatever was going on. But we both made that decision. You know, there was definitely a report of, of three people trapped down there, not just one person, but we had to make a, a as best effort to search, you know. So we made a decision to go down. Water came behind behind us, but we were able to open that second set of doors. 
and that opened up into a little lobby area. There was a an elevator in front of us, to the right of us. There was like a utility room that went very deep. There was uh, you know piping, electrical, and there was only pretty much one way in, one way out. And we yelled in there, and we didn't hear anything back. As soon as we turned to our left, two people came out of the pharmacy. We checked with them. Hey, is there anybody else down here? And they, they said, no, we're good. We're just locking and securing things up. And I said, okay, we're just going to check these other offices on the side down this corridor. You need to go to the end of this corridor instead of where we came from to go up to the street level. So we just did a, a quick search. You know, I think I was worried a little bit about electrical issues because I know there's a lot of um, computers in that area. You know, just regular offices, but, um, you know, electricity and water don't mix. Yeah. Now, is this area underwater as well? Yeah, but it wasn't as, as severe, but the water was coming down. It was going to end up, you know, getting to the height where, where we were before. So we went from chest high water all the way down, probably to like about our knees, you know, may, maybe at our ankles where it was at the lowest. I, we never got back to that place ever again throughout our, our time in the hospital because I don't, I don't know how high it got later on, but I imagine it, it filled up as high as the other section did. Uh, we got back up to the street level, and that that's in the front of the street, which is uh, Washington Street. And then we made our way back over to where we first went in. Another engine company was on scene, and they were just coming out. They had gotten all the water rescue equipment, the Gumby suits, uh, rescue lines, and they had started gearing up because they, they knew we went down to do a search and we were in turnout gear, but they heard nothing from us. They couldn't get us on the radios. Our radios were submerged. Uh, so we were able to use our radios. So they made the comment. They, they kind of thought we were goners, but they were glad to see us. And then we just kind of, you know, figure out what, what the rest of the problem that was going on. While everybody was kind of focusing on the basement issue, the water flooding in there, uh, you know, we didn't have a life safety issue anymore. But we, we didn't know why the electricity was knocked out totally on on that side of the hospital. And one of the lieutenants said, I'm going to go upstairs and do a recon. And he checked the upper floors and he came back down. He says it was, there was significant water damage, all three floors. So it wasn't just water rushing in on the lowest point. They had water that either came through the roof or, or somewhere else. So now you got a hospital full of patients and you've got no electricity. What's the plan? So when he came down, he said, I think we got to, we got to dump the building. And, you know, later on we got upstairs to, we were kind of like assigned to a floor and we were checking with the nurses and the nurses had, you know, no electricity. So they had no computers. They're using their phones, you know, the little light on their phones as flashlights. They had water pouring through the ceilings. We were trying to take out ceiling tiles from collapsing on people. What we kind of surmised was the drains on the roof were either blocked or they were overwhelmed. And there was also on the third floor, like an open air kind of patio, maybe an old smoking area from back in the day. I don't think they smoke in the hospital anymore. <laughs> you used to be able to go outside and smoke a cigarette, hook your oxygen back up and go back inside. Yeah. <laughs> so all that water, they, they think it was about five inches of water that, that landed on our town. That all kind of poured in there and then it came down through all the floors. They quickly, uh, the incident commander, he, you know, struck multiple alarms. We get manpower in there. We didn't have a fire issue. 
people are okay at the moment. We just had to get the, the ICU patients, you know, if there's anybody who's on a vent or something like that, we had to get those people out first. So they, you know, did a good job at um, creating a transport list for all those people. How many ambulances did you guys have to bring in for all that transport? I don't know the exact number, but I know they called for uh, two strike teams, ambulance strike teams, um, so the Massachusetts statewide mobilization plan. I believe most of those uh, ambulance crews that came in did at least two runs from what I've heard. Probably with multiple patients each. Yeah. So they go, they bring a patient, and then they come back and grab another one. Were they doubling up the ambulances with multiple patients, or they only had one at a time? I think they only did one at a time, but I, I'm not 100% certain on that, because I, I never got out to that area where they're doing the transporting. So we were assigned to a floor, and we had to bring down people. Again, no elevator, uh, a stairwell that was entirely dark. They did start setting up um, you know, portable lighting. There was a lot of electrical cords that kind of you know, kind of pushed them to the the side, but it was still a trip hazard. So, you know, especially some of the larger patients, you get six guys on a patient, come down one floor, and then we'll put them on a bed uh, the next floor down, put in a fresh crew, you know, six guys, bring him down to the next, and then and then so on. But we didn't have any patient injuries or, or losses. No firefighters got hurt or injured you know, bringing people down because it's obviously, a, you know, trip hazard. And then the, my greatest, you know, I don't think they, they got enough credit was the nurses. The nurses really uh, work their butts off. They're not trained to work in, in conditions like that. Those kinds of incidents are, are always rough on everybody involved. I've been involved in a couple of them. Twice it was nursing homes. Once there was a nursing home on fire. And the other one was a nursing home where the roof actually blew off and part of the, the roof collapsed. They were doing some work on it. And they are always stressful and rough situations, trying to get all of those patients relocated, trying to find a place to put them in the first place, but then trying to get them all transported out. Uh, and it really it really does take a, a coordinated effort between the, the firefighters, the paramedics, the nurses, the police officers, everybody that's involved in those scenes. Uh, they really are difficult situations. So based on this incident, what are some of the takeaways uh, that you that you got out of this one? Me personally, I, I really would have liked to have seen um, an after action report on it. To my knowledge, none was ever held, um, you know, at least within the department. I, I would have liked to see, you know, what what worked well, what didn't work well, you know, and how, how we can learn from that. We did talk a little bit amongst ourselves. And again, I was working overtime on a different crew. so. You know, maybe those guys with that captain, um, you know, maybe they talked about it a little more in depth, but I, I never felt like I really got to get a good debrief on that. Another thing I think you can learn from is you can't train for everything, but you can go back on training of other things that you had. Before I got on the fire department, I was able to participate in a uh, swift water rescue course when I was dispatching at the other place. And I remembered in the back of my head that a Scott pack will float, even if you have wet turnout gear on. You know, I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind, just, you know, fell back on our training, you know, doing, like I said before, we decided we're going to do left-hand searches and continuously make, you know, left turns. Um, And we stayed together and, you know, I really relied on 
you know, good leadership, my, my senior firefighter that, that I was with. So, yeah, I, I don't think you say enough about good training and how that comes back to you in moments like this. And like you said, you know, you weren't even a firefighter at the time. You were a dispatcher and took a swift water class and you remembered that at Scott pack floats and there's your flotation divide if that device. If that water got too high, at least you have something you can grab onto and float probably a little bit of peace of mind in there. Yeah. I did have a concern about getting hung up in, you know, overhead wires, but I said, well, we'll get to that point if, if it gets there, which it, it didn't, but you know, it was, like I said, chest high water in the basement of a, of a hospital is not something I'd ever thought I'd ever be in. No, it's definitely an unusual situation, but you know, those hundred year floods are like that on the job that I was on down in Georgia. We had one of those and it was just a, just a crazy day of things that we probably never expected to see, but you're right. You go back to your training, you know, you go back to the basics and hopefully everybody comes out of that day, uh, certainly as, as well as they went into it and, and had some successful calls along the way. Paul, anything else you want to add as we wrap this up? You know, the other thing I'd say is to, you know, especially for younger firefighters, you know, Take advantage of any training that you can get, whether it's through your own fire academies or um, firefighters that have their own training services, you know, and, and then do, do your own training in-house as well. Because you, you absolutely never know when you'll fall back on your training and you might, you might need that to get you through a situation. You know, we do have bodies of water in our community and we do, you know, water uh, re- uh, rescue during the summertime, we do ice water rescue during the wintertime. That tree on a train. I never thought it would happen in the in the basement of a hospital. <laughs> Take all the training that you can because in a job that can kill you, you can't learn enough. Yeah, hospital's probably the last place you expected to do a water rescue. One, one last thing, I guess, you know, the hospital doesn't want to go down quietly. They're doing the demo now to, you know, level the area and then they're going to build up a brand new facility. But we had one of the excavators catch on fire a couple weeks ago. So it's, it just it won't go quietly. <laughs> well, Paul, thanks for taking some time and sharing that incredible story with us. Uh, I'm glad that the listeners got a chance to listen to it. I'm glad you were able to come on here and share that, that story with us. Um, I hope you'll come back at a future date, maybe pull another story out of your back pocket and share it with our listeners. Uh, I'm sure we'd love to have you back on and uh, you know share one of your experiences with us. Thanks. I appreciate that. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.